it's sort of like using a credit card. I like to use that example, right? When you use a credit card, you're collecting the credit credit card points, right? And you use these it's a reward system for when you're spending, right? And this is a reward system for investing. Like if you're a passive investor, you should be collecting these uh, capital losses, right? Accumulating them, Accum- accumulate them because you never know what's going to happen in the future. They don't expire. 20, 10, 20 years down the line, you sell a home for a big gain. Well, you're going to have to carry forward a bunch of losses that you can use to offset, right? Gains. That's how rich people think. They are developing a shield against capital gains taxes. And uh, everyone can take advantage of that. Welcome, everybody. Trends with friends. Uh, as always, uh, the Pearl Dog. Um, Hootie and the Blowfish. We've got uh, JC, Baby Blue JC, um, Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, bringing the charts. And uh, we have a lot to catch up on, JC. But um, in this era of uh, this this leg of this new trend, this this uh, we, will, we will argue later about uh, the bull market, bear market stuff and, and what we're seeing in the math. But um, I wanted to bring on uh, a friend of mine and a guest, uh, a founder, um, twice founder, um, early advisor to Instacart. I don't know if you boys use Instacart. Do you use Instacart? Every day. Really? Maybe three times a week. I used it during the COVID. You've got a fan? I used it during the COVID? Is that like the Facebook? Yeah. Yeah, the Facebook. Is it hoodie or the hoodie? I used it during the COVID times. So so we have... uh, uh, my friend Mo here. Mo will introduce himself, but he was so early at Twitter. Like us, Phil, he created Twitbit, which uh, is as bad a name as Stock Twits. <laughs> um, so we can talk a little about uh, naming things. And then he has now started a company and he uh, was acquired by Twitter. Um, supposedly, he he took a sink into Elon Musk's office and just dropped it on his foot and then resigned. Um, that's not true, but if you say it enough times, uh, it can be true in the world of AI. And then um, now, um, you know, is on a hunger strike. He hasn't eaten in three, four years, and uh, he rarely makes uh, podcast appearances. He's been busy building this incredible app and company called Freck, which is a direct indexing, uh, do-it-yourself direct indexing product that um, is launched uh, doing very well in in this era of uh, the degenerate economy where everybody has so many choices and loves to trade and loves to YOLO. Um, This has a lot lot of something for Phil here because uh, direct indexing is something that uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, and using freck.com for. So uh, welcome to the show, Mo. Um, maybe just give uh, the boys a little bit of a deeper background. And if not, no worries, but uh, TwitBit, the original idea, what what excited you about Twitter at the beginning? Because we'll get into direct indexing after, but what you're early to trends. So what was it about TwitBit? Yeah, be, thank you for having me here today. I'm excited to talk to you um, and hang out with you all. Uh, yeah, tw- Twitter was fascinating. Back in 2007, 2008, it was, the idea was very infectious, right? It was about Giving everyone an equal voice, right? Like someone, and can be tweeting out of, uh, you know, uh, uh, like the voice of back back in those days. We used to say, you know, the voice of Barack Obama is equally heard as someone who's tweeting out of, you know, the uh, a slum somewhere, right? So 
so that was really cool. I mean, that was it was a movement back then, if you remember, it's 2007, 2008. It was, um, you know, people wanted to build on Twitter. It was a there was a thriving developer ecosystem. Like when we launched Twitvid, it was an API, it wasn't an app, it was an API, and it was used by all these third-party Twitter applications, uh, Twitterfon, Equifon, uh, Tweety, and all, all these. There were different ways to access Twitter back in those days. Twitpick. No, what I'm saying. Twitpick, yeah, that was bi- that was big. It was Dotson River, you know, the plane landing that really hit the moment. Right? That was our inspiration. It was like, oh, um, you know, like people are sharing photos on Twitter. Let's, well, why can't people f- share a video on Twitter? Back then, you know, the iPhone didn't even have a, a video camera capability. Just let you take photos. It was, <laughs> it was, um, it was only until 2008 that uh, the iPhone had video, and, and um, yeah, we were we were excited to be on that on that wave. And so Twitter comes along, you 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 get acquired, you're working at Twitter. Who was your boss? I worked for Kayvon Bigpore, who was the um, head of product. And then, you know, like in classic Twitter fashion, there was a lot of reordering happening. So um, I had like maybe I- <laughs> we've reorged. Yeah. Phil, Phil, Phil may not be here next week. We do a lot of reorging. <laughs> the in. Uh, What's the number one thing you learned at a big organization? So you you know you're you're new to the working world. I think you come into Twitter. You you acquired by Twitter. You have probably twenty different bosses, twenty different reorgs. Uh, now that you run your your own company, which we'll talk about, what what's the biggest thing you learned at a big org? Well, um, it was very different from us from the startup world. I had spent um, at that point maybe nine years building a company, and joining Twitter was. Like day and night, it was so different. Like you had to work within processes and uh, do do these um, things that seemed like were counterproductive, right? Like write a lot of documents because you're trying to at that point like spread knowledge and and uh, you're not trying to move quickly and you're not running out of cash anytime soon. So you're sort of like uh, you're planning a bit further ahead than than at a startup. It was a whole different way of working. It was fascinating. And so you leave, when do you get the investing back? So let's get right into direct indexing, the stuff that JC, Phil, and I, you know, for anybody watching the show, obviously they've opted in, uh, they have money, they aspire to have money, they aspire to have this freedom. Um, so you finally have some financial freedom to to drop that sink on Elon Musk, or it was a jack, it doesn't matter. Uh, you flipped a lot of people off. Uh, uh, no, I'm kidding. So you, so you, so you leave you going your financial freedom. What takes you down this rabbit hole of direct indexing? Because you're a product guy, um, from Twitfid to working on fleets at, at Twitter, um, but you're a product guy at heart. You go down this investing path. What leads you to direct indexing? Um, as you mentioned in the intro, I was an early advisor to Instacart, so I was, um, I had done some oh, right. secondary transactions early on, so I had some money, and. Um, I ended up working with a few wealth managers and was uh, quite unhappy with what I was getting. It felt like, um, A, I wasn't understanding the products that they were selling me. They were sort of like pushing these products on me. They're like, hey, there's this thing called direct indexing. You got to do it now, now. I'm like, what is what is this? How does it work? They're like, oh, there's an alpha, whatever, X percent. I'm like, what, what does that even mean? And they didn't <laughs> really know the answers and I really didn't understand. So it came out of frustration. Uh, out of my experience with working with um, you know human uh, money managers who didn't seem like they quite knew exactly the products they were selling, 
And I, I was convinced there was value there, but you know, it wasn't clear what the value is and how I can apply it to my own situation. So I went in and I dug into it myself and I discovered that it's, you know, it's quite valuable, but it's probably delivered in the wrong way. And it's not done in a self-serve way. Like I want to be able to go in and do these things myself. And so Freck is born and walk us through what, what people should know, because I think, you know, Phil's an indexer. I'm now an indexer. I use Freck mostly, but uh, I'm an indexer um, in my later life. And you're learning so much about who the customer is and and what they actually want. And there's this move that, you know, Phil and I talk about because, and JC was late to this, the mutual fund boom, where we were paying three to 4% uh, to kind of copy trade um, people's portfolios, right? And it was all done under legal disclosure. We were basically betting on some guy's portfolio and paying a lot of fees to have someone come bring coffee to the brokerage, blah, blah, blah. The same stuff that happens today with just less middlemen. And then along comes ETS, which is a beautiful phenomenon. You'll walk us through that. And now we're here. We're at direct index. And so just walk us through how that works and your discovery and how you built this. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, can I share some slides? I have a couple of visualizations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's like to take over the slides. And Phil, you know dire what direct indexing is in JC? I love it. I, I'm 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 learning about it. Like, you know, I've got an account with like Ritholtz and them and they help me out with like, you know, different um like um the the losses, like the tax loss harvesting and yes, stuff like that. Like harvesting. they do that for me and they do it really well. I don't really understand it, but it, it's working. Whatever it is that they're doing, is that kind like how how much am I yes. directing Yeah, and you know, from my point of view, Howard, uh what you were saying before about the mutual funds, like we are on this path of becoming more efficient investors, getting rid of the fees, direct indexing with no, you know, indexing with no fees. And now direct indexing seems to be the next phase of become taking sort of some aspects of market, you know, structural market inefficiency out of the, out of the, out of the investing process. Correct. So Phil, what, what, you know, layman terms is, just something that's been built for very rich people because there were costs involved uh, to get your brokerage and to do the trading to make this happen. I think what what Mo's going to walk us through is how how technology has brought down those costs to make it available to everybody. All right, take it away. Yeah. Mo. So um, direct indexing has really two main objectives. The first one is it's a it's a tax deferral strategy. Much like ETFs are a tax deferral strategy, which we'll talk about in a second. And the second thing is a personalization strategy, which is, you know, you may want the S&P 500 minus this stock or minus the sector or plus this other stock, right? Um, so, you know, like I'm, we think at FRAC at least that the tax, the tax advantage of an ETF is sort of like the primary selling point. So we really focus on that, right? And we try to explore that. And one way to truly understand that is to first understand why and how ETFs are tax advantaged in the first place, right? And then relative to mutual funds. And then we will uh, we will see then how direct indexing is, is tax, tax advantaged um, over an ETF, right? So it gives you an even additional tax advantage. So, um, you know, one thing that folks don't quite realize is that by law, both ETFs and mutual funds must pass down capital gain distributions to their owners. But ETFs happen to... Uh, you know, uh, dodge this using a special mechanism. There's a 1969 Nixon era law called the in, uh, for in-kind exemption. So when, when ETFs have a gain, 
they uh, they don't pass that gain down to the to the owner of the ETF. Instead, they are able to use in-kind redemptions to trade baskets of appreciated stocks and uh, create or redeem shares of their own ETF through market makers. Right. So you'll see on the chart on the right, like a mutual fund will pass down gains to the to the owner every year with a signifying with the black dots, whereas an ETF wouldn't. Um, and so I have this cool chart that um, kind of shows that it's got three sections on top, the, the net asset value, right? Uh, and then uh, the middle of the number of shares and the bottom is the tax paid, right? And with a mutual fund, it's really simple, right? What's going on here is every year, the mutual fund goes up, let's call it 10%, right? And then you get, uh, you know, you get that $10. Uh, let's say it's $100 mutual fund. It goes up by 10%. So it's at the end of the year, 110. You get passed down the $10 in gains, right? So you pay taxes at the end of the year, right? On the 10 bucks. And then the remainder of the $10, the $7 in change, gets reinvested back into the mutual fund. So you get slightly more shares. And so basically every year, What's happening is you're paying your taxes, right? By the end of year one, two, three, four, by the time it's year five, you're basically current on your taxes, right? With a mutual fund. That's sort of like the old way of doing things. And then what happened is ETFs came along. And what ETFs allowed you to do is to defer these gains until the very, very end. So now your asset and your nav is going up, your number of shares is constant. And at the very end, you pay taxes, but notice how. The taxes that you pay at the end are basically the same as the taxes you paid as if you had a mutual fund. With the only difference is that uh, you essentially have not paid those taxes across the years. You've deferred taxes, you pay them at the very, very end, right? And that's sort of like a no-brainer to us all. Like we know this, we understand that because we use ETFs and they've been popularized for this reason, right? And we kind of take them for granted. But really what's happening is you kind of have almost what folks call an interest-free loan from the IRS. Like while your ETF is gaining value, you're not paying any taxes on it until the end, and you're compounding um, you know, those uh, unpaid taxes. And Goldman Sachs estimates that the value of these compounded uh, unpaid taxes to you as an investor is a cumulative benefit of about 4.4% over, over a mutual fund for this certain set of circumstances that, that they use a the scenario for. Now, you know, it gets even better because, you know, no one likes to think about death. But if, you know, the loan is kind of forgiven at death because of the step up in cost basis, right? So if, if you hold a mutual fund and you're paying your taxes on time every year and at the end, you know, you pass away and your, your step up is quite small. So you haven't quite taken advantage of the, uh, the cost basis step up. Whereas with an ETF, um, it's basically a forgiven, forgiven loan, right? So that's a story behind ETFs and mutual funds. Um, now, where does direct indexing fit into this whole thing, right? And how is it even better than an ETF? Well, first, um, I'll quickly describe like the mechanism of direct indexing and how it works. Direct indexing is simply taking an ETF that tracks an index like SPY, for example, breaking it up into its individual components, like the stocks that make up the ETF, right? And whenever one of it, the stocks drops below the price you paid for, its cost basis, it's sold and a, another basket of correlated stocks is bought temporarily, right? And then, you know, for 30 days to avoid the wash sale period. And then you kind of come back into the original position. 
And as you're doing that, you're crystallizing losses and you're using these losses to offset some other source of capital gains, right, to, to reduce your tax bill. Um, and this is like this motion of tax loss harvesting is really important and it's very interesting. So I want to just walk into it through it in a slightly more detail. Like imagine you imagine a single stock. Let's think about just a single stock. Let's call it Tesla. You bought $20,000 worth of Tesla at some point, right? It has gone down over uh, in the, by the second year by call it 30%, right? So $20,000 is now worth $14,000. Now, Imagine two scenarios, like in one scenario, you have not tax loss harvested at all. So your cost basis is still $20,000. That's on the left-hand side, right? On the right-hand side, let's say you have tax loss harvested uh, the, the stock, right? So you sold Tesla and you bought a correlated set of stocks like GM, Ford, Neo, or something like that. Like some covariance matrix can tell you exactly what, what the right set of stocks to buy that are going to be closely tracking Tesla, right? And so what happens in the tax loss harvesting scenario is you've dropped your cost basis down to $14,000 because you've crystallized a loss of $6,000, right? And then in the third year, Tesla goes up to $30,000. Now notice how in both scenarios, um, uh, you're basically, uh, your net gains at the end is the same. Whereas in the no tax loss harvesting, you have a cost basis of 10K and gains of, uh, sorry, cost basis of 20K and gains of 10K, right? So your uh, your basic gains are still 10K, whereas in the tax loss harvesting side, you have $14,000 cost basis, gains of $10,000, uh, uh, sorry, gains of uh, $16,000 and losses of $6,000. So your net gains, again, are still 10,000, except in the tax loss harvesting case, right? You have $6,000 in losses that you have collected early on by year two. Does, does that make sense? Yes. So they've taken, so the thing is, how do people learn about this, right? So do you have, so until Freck came out, theoretically, you, you had to be with a wealth manager and have a certain amount of money because of the cost of doing all this, correct? Yeah, totally. You had to have, uh, you know, at least a million dollars. You had to, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a way like, um, you know, you know, understand this concept really well, or maybe even just delegate that to, to your wealth manager and be like, okay, you, you know, you know what you're doing, so just do this for me. And you would have paid like maybe an an amount of money for it that didn't really make much sense. Um, so what what happened is Fred came along and said, okay, well, we're going to now make this available to everyone with very low minimums and very low fees, such that it. It's a no-brainer. So it makes sense to replace an ETF for you, right? I was going to make one point, which is, um, you know, this is basically, there's some interesting stats on this, right? Let's say you invest, let's call it just to make the numbers round and nice. Let's say you have $100,000 to invest, right? Um, you can expect to generate up to 40% of an investment back in capital losses with direct indexing. So $100,000 investment, you can make $40,000 back in capital losses. Right? Whereas if you put it in an ETF, you don't, you don't make any capital loss, if you, especially if you have a buy and hold type of long-term um, uh, sort of outlook on it. Right? So that 40,000, 40% number is really important. And then the other thing that's really cool about it is the losses are front-loaded. So you collect them in the first few years. Right? And the key is to use these losses against other gains. Um, let me just very quickly um, overlay the 
way capital uh, direct indexing works on the same chart that we looked at, right? So you've got, you go back to the mutual fund and the ETF, right? And now, so what does direct indexing look like? Well, direct indexing looks like this, where you basically have a NAV and your net asset value is going to track very closely the, the, the way the, the NAV of the ETF, right? There's a tiny, tiny bit of tracking error, but it, it's really minimal. Uh, you're going to have the same number of shares as you would uh, with an ETF. But what you see on the bottom is now you're starting to collect capital losses, right? So you have losses that you start to accrue in year one, year two, year three, uh, year four until the end, right? Now, if you sell, uh, if you sell your direct index, you basically use these losses against the extra gains that you've got. But so what's the point, right? If it's zero sum, what's the point? Well, the point is like in the very, very, very early years, as you're collecting losses, you need to use the losses against some other source of gains. Like let's say you have concentrated stocks that you're trying to sell out and you know, you're know you worried about the tax bill. Well, you, you now can use the losses that you generated to offset uh, those those gains, right? Or you can use the losses to offset gains from real estate. You, you can use offset that, uh, an angel investment that goes public and so on, right? So think of it as a shield against future capital gains, right? You use your direct index to accumulate capital losses, which by the way, uh, there's no, there's, uh, you know, they carry forward forever, right? They don't expire, right? And there's no limit to how much you can offset in capital gains. There's a misconception that, oh, there's a 3,000 limit as to how much I can offset. Well, that's not true. You can offset an unlimited amount of capital uh, uh, gains from your losses. Now, if you don't have capital gains to offset one year, then then you're limited to $3,000 of ordinary income, but it's really unlimited. If you have, a, if you have accumulated $400,000 in losses and you have a $400,000 gain, you can offset them completely and not pay that. Yeah. Now, who tracks that? Does FREC track that? So you've got, or, you know, you invest... Let's say half a million dollars for ten years. First two years, Freck tells you you got twenty grand in capital losses. And how do we track? How does the customer track that? Yeah, so um, uh, it's it's all on on the Freck dashboard. So it would show you exactly how much okay. cost you've uh, you've harvested. I can. So that's the beauty of this. Like it's tracking, and you hand it over to your accountant, and boom. I think for you, Josh, with Ritholtz Wealth, they do probably use through Canvas, and they're doing that direct. But this is for any. But this is for anybody at home, just like you opened up a Robinhood account, you know, over the last 10 years. You open up a Freck account, you can get T-bills at 5% while you're debating whether you want to invest in direct index and you go into XLK. You can also kind of remove and add stocks and SPYs to kind of build your own index if there's a certain company that you own too much of because you work for the company. And then Freck kind of manage that app for you. So maybe quick, a sh- quick shot of the dashboard here. Yeah, I can uh, quickly show you what a direct index account looks like. So this is an actual funded demo account that we've got. And, um, but not mine. This isn't mine. Mine's worth way more. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's, this might be the founders. This might be the founders. <laughs> um, so this, the, the way this works is you, you, when you place a deposit into a direct index, so this is the info tech, right? So that's, this is just the S&P 500 information technology. So it's a 65 tech heavy index of the S&P 500, Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia, et cetera. And this investment was made in, in August. And you can see, you can hover your mouse at any point in time. It will tell you the value of your direct index 
and it would also compare it to if, what if you had bought the ETF instead. So in this case, uh, you know, it bought a million dollars worth of the S&P InfoTech. And uh, it's now, the, the index is up 23%, so it's tracking it very closely. And you can tell on the, on the left-hand side over there that, um, you know, uh, there's a bit of tracking error. So you're at 1.234, whereas the XLK is at 1.219, right? So you're already doing a bit better than the XLK. Also, it has harvested $27,000 in losses, right? And you can see exactly what it's doing. You can, every day, like this was, uh, uh, you know, five days ago, it's harvested 200 bucks, it sold a bunch of stocks, bought some other stocks, right? And so it's constantly doing that every day, looking for opportunities, looking for tax losses to sell and other tax losses to buy to, to do two things. A, keep you super close to the index, so minimize tracking error and maximize the amount of losses that you've harvested. And so it asked me that that's this is pretty genius. I mean, Phil just got it like it takes your idea of what you do and just blows it up. I mean, again, this is all like, oh, this is this is going to take a long time for people to grasp the tax advantages. You know, you got to teach people direct it. You got to you got to say the word a million times for people to get it, and then they got to be able to get it, which they can at Freck. I mean, Phil, what's is this something that like uh, you who indexes it with Vanguard? What is it? How does it change the way you think about it? It's things? just so it's making the difficult simple, and that for me is the. Uh, alpha. That for me is the value. And so that's what I'm looking for. I had one other comment too. From an entrepreneurial point of view, this is something I love. So you did TwitVid and they were either going to shut you down or they're going to have to buy you, right? And so they bought you. And from this, you know, from the entrepreneur's point of view, the thing I love about this and whether it was attention or not, is that this is such an obvious bolt on for a van. I mean, a Vanguard is a gargantuan giant player. And I just keep it really stupid, simple with, you know, basically four Vanguard ETFs. It's like pretty much, you know, that and then there's cash. Like that's my whole, that's pretty much my own whole portfolio, a little bit here and there, playing around with Google and FXI or whatever, but for the most part, and having an overlay like this. So from an entrepreneur, I just want to congratulate you. And I know you have a, you know, you have a, a slog ahead of you and it's hard, but I just want to, just that mind, because any large ETF, com any ETF company has to be thinking about you, has to be thinking about what you're doing right now. Um, and this is, you know, I mean, canvas is whatever it is. And can't, that aside, they've already been taken. But you just, you know, you're just putting yourself a, in a spot yet again, where I just I just love that. I just want to congratulate you on that. You know, it's just this idea of I thought you would love this. I, I, I right? love like the it, it, I it, love the I love the making difficult simple, because I could never think through this stuff. I mean, I have this conversation every year with my accountant. You know what I mean? And it's like, we have the same conversation. Every, in fact, we're about just about to have it again. It's March right now. We're going to have this conversation I, in the next just month. Just invite Mo. And I know, just but invite it's something, Mo and JC to that it, combo. It's part of like an overall portfolio and lifestyle to Perlman's point, right? Like yeah. I have all kinds of different investments. Obviously, I'm trading. We're shorting Apple. We're doing this. We're doing, And then I, <laughs> that's one. 
part of the portfolio. And then we have another part of the portfolio that is essentially doing this indexing and tax loss harvesting. And then I have other strategies where Sean is selling strangles for me every single morning, right? So like there's a variety of different strategies, which I absolutely love. I am convinced there's white papers. My friend Chris Kane uh, is a, uh, wrote a white paper about it in terms of diversification, the sweet spot of having four to five strategies that are uncorrelated with one another um, is real diversification. And I truly appreciate that. And this is 100% one of the sleeves sort of in my strategy and lifestyle, no question. And, and there's other backstory of the company we'll have on again. But like the, the main point I want to have on is this is Trends with Friends. We love talking about markets. Mo would love talking about markets, but he he hacked away. And again, you can't imagine the technology on the back end because he's built on top of Apex, and which Robinhood was built on, and and it's not the most modern technology, right? So you have to be an engineer. We're not in the age of AI because this is some truly ridiculous uh, complexity being hit because he's working on a very complex back end that's somewhat archaic in Apex. And so this is not something you can just go bang out. So this is something that was so complex. The retail usually sees this stuff, or individuals, as we call ourselves, usually sees this stuff 10 years after the pros have it. This, this, we're in real time. Uh, my daughter with 50K can do this. This allows her to learn the best things about the market, which there is a, a hack in the system. The tax loss harvest is a hack. And if you're not taking advantage of hacks that machines will do for you, our job on Trends with Friends, yeah, we talk about trading, we talk about the markets. If you're not taking advantage of this type of hack first, you're just not being smart. Now, JC's doing that with his wealth manager. Everybody can do this by quickly opening an account. And we're talking about the S&P, nothing fancy, and the XLK, which has outperformed the QQQ. It doesn't have Google in it, and right now that's a good thing because it doesn't have the woke Google in the XLK ticker. But the other thing we're we're doing at, at Social Leverage, you know, we're friends with the Van Eck people. The SMH is probably going to be one of the most inter, the most interesting by the dip phenomenons over the next twenty years as it competes with uh, QQQ. So there's so much more opportunity for products to come on to this because the technology is always built. I think the genius hack here, Mo, too, is just the UI. Making people feel comfortable that they see their tax loss harvesting in real time. And I think it also will come overcome for guys like me the mentality of, am I buying too high? It's almost like, I can't wait to get started because if the market drops 10% and I'm in this thing for 20 years, I'm ultimately already ahead a couple points because of the tax loss harvesting. Is that, is that, is that, am I wrong in no, thinking totally. about it's, that mental hack? It's a, it's a, there's a psycholo psychological element to it, which is, hey, I'm going to put in money. I'm not going to try to time the market because it's almost impossible to time the market. If the market does well, great. I'm not going to lose anything. I'm still tracking the index. If the market dips, well, I'm going to take advantage, right, of the tax loss harvesting that happens on a daily basis, which doesn't happen, you know, if you buy an ETF and you just happen to, Buy it right before you know a big dip. You're just kind of, you know, buying whole. But what about and then does it like I love the Perlman? Um, the is it the eight percent rule for me? It's eight percent. Like if you're putting money away every month, if the mar if the S and P is down eight percent in a month, you put twice as much. Is that the number Perlman? Eight. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I do it by I do it by vibe, yeah. but yeah, five to ten percent, and also a little seasonality. When you look at that compound interest, vibe. when you do that, the go. compound interest, the whip at the end is just 
crazier whip at the end. Like it's wild. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's so beautiful. That is the new tagline, please. Uh, Phil Perlman has an affiliate Lego. I do it by I do it by buy. You know what? Actually, I love I something Howard said. Howard, you could bust me, but I'm going to love you now. I love what you said about Rachel. Like your daughter, showing this to your daughter, it just made me want to show it to my kids, you know, who are younger than Rachel, but they started investing their own money. They started working in the summers and then putting that money into QQQ and VTI. And they're going to get this immediately. They're going to understand this in like two weeks better than I understand it now. Because I love that. So then they're going to have that built into their head. Yeah, but your your father wasn't Phil Perlman, though. Right, right. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we're taking some efficiencies out of the market, inefficiencies out of the market with every generation. You know, first it was, you know, mutual funds, then ETFs. And and now being able to do this is beautiful. And so this ties into the biggest trend of all, which is AI. And I think, Mo, we want to switch to talking tech unless we miss some things about, we'll have you back, but unless we miss some key things. No, no, this is, we've got Okay. So what's the biggest trend? AI. This is, this is, we don't, Mo does not do press. Um, this product sells itself. Are we press? We're not. Are we, is that, are we that? We are, uh, we are a vibe press. We are, we are <laughs> press with a vibe. A vibe session. <laughs> so, so just to, just to unlock this a little further. Um, because I have, it, there's two things that have to happen. First things first is the skeptics. They're going to say, oh, this is for rich people. They have a huge, they worked at Facebook. They have 90% of their net worth in Facebook. Um, explain the bad marketing or the misconception about that, Mo. Well, no, everyone benefits from this, right? No, because, you know, if you're, there's, it's sort of like using a credit card. I like to use that example, right? When you use a credit card, you're collecting the credit credit card points, right? And you use these, it's a reward system for when you're spending, right? And this is a reward system for investing. Like if you're a passive investor, you should be collecting these uh, capital losses, right? Accumulating them, Accum- accumulate them because you never know what's going to happen in the future. They don't expire. 20, 10, 20 years down the line, you sell a home for a big gain. Well, you're going to have to carry forward a bunch of losses that you can use to offset, right? Gains. That's how rich people think. They are developing a shield against capital gains taxes, and uh, everyone can take advantage of that. So, so here's what he's built. Direct indexing is like, it, it, we talk about AI here. JC is a master of, of, of CMT, the, how money market flows. AI helps JC because it, surfaces, it helps him do his job faster, and it helps surface ideas, right? You, as you prompt, as you type, other ideas may come to you based on what you've typed before. For... What Jensen Hang was, however you pronounce his name, was just saying, and it's just, I just can't believe how eloquent, it's not salesy the way he talks about AI. It's just, I was here, no one believed me, this is what we thought computers should be like, meaning allow the people with domain experience that not don't necessarily have t- tech domain experience, have the people with domain experience, and what do we have, financial domain experience, um, have those products be built that allows people that have the domain experience to do the right things and play at the level that, uh, of a master. And taking advantage of the tax laws here and the idea of compounding is about as, you know, ETFs are a great leap. They're not a bad product. But if you are going to do ETFs and you have that type of time frame, this is a no-brainer. So that's kind of what's cool about tech and um you know this hack of of the tax loss harvesting 
Um, what's the most exciting thing with you, Mo, in tech right now? Like you're a geek, so it, where, where does AI have your head thinking? It's it's fascinating. Look, there's so much. Uh, I mean, the the big buzz uh, word today is around Gen AI, but really, AI as a um, as a machine learning in general is is applicable to all kinds of uh, spots, right? Like we are going to use it as well when it comes to time. We're already using uh, using it in terms of how do you how do you like reduce tracking error even more and how can you you teach the machine to make better decisions on what to harvest and when to harvest and oh the short-term gain is about to become long-term gain in a few more uh, months or a few more weeks is it better to wait or is it better to actually harvest now do you harvest that when it's not there's like so much potential and um any company that's and the beauty is you're doing that behind the scene vanguard knows this is a good product but hasn't offered it to fill yet in a way that whether it's a notification or an alert and say, Phil, by the way, we have an airline frequent flyer mileage. It's called direct index for this exact same DTF that you have. It's shocking to me that that doesn't ha- I don't. I can't explain it. They're not trying to screw you, Phil. There's got to be reasons. They're incompetent um, and that, that is not their expertise. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, just go to their website. Like, no, just from a product point of view, they're going to need you so badly that it's a joke. I mean, at some level, I'm sure you're aware of this. You're a humble guy. You're beautiful. But I'm sure at some point, at some in some level, you know this. Like you probably pull up their website, look at it for five minutes, and you're just like, "Oh my god!" You know, like the same way you were doing. No, but for certain large clients, they'll offer this. Everybody has some form of direct index. So, so Mo, talk to that for a second. Yeah, if you're yeah. rich. What what are people at Goldman Sachs or, or or you know, we talked about Canvas, which is the O'Shaughnessy family. The company was purchased. It was a little more complex technologically. It was more of a Salesforce meets direct indexing. You're doing. You're hiding the complexity. So so. If you're a half, if you're got ten million at Goldman, they're offering you a product from Parametric, right? They're offering a direct indexing solution. It's just you're paying the sixty basis points to be with the financial advisor. So let's talk about that too. Like you can get this done, but it is going to cost more. Yeah, it's it's um, right now gate kept behind. You have to have an advisor. You have to pay a lot in fees. And frankly, it may not actually make a lot of sense to use direct indexing if you're paying so much for it because your portfolio is compounding, right? So you're paying. Imagine, look, I'm gonna just share one more uh, one slide. Yeah, this, this is an important one. The point beyond the fees. Um, it's um, basically the the you know there's at some point. Look, this graph what is showing is the difference between an ETF and direct indexing, right? And it goes um, positive and negative on the y-axis, right? So at high fees, like if you're paying 0.75, which is basically if you have an advisor who's throwing you into like a parametric strategy or something like that, and you're net not paying like 0.75, for example, at some point down the line, by between years 10 and 13, right, you would have been better off just buying an ETF. Because at those fees, um, you know, like you're eating 0.75% a year into a compounding and a growing portfolio, and the tax benefits are front-loaded at the beginning, right, with the direct index. So you're not really approving. Super interesting. This is an important point. You're being honest about this. There is a certain point where this math wouldn't work. Well, you know, the, the truth okay. is um, we, we think the only way to, to build a company is if the customer benefits in the long term from us quite a bit. What happens with a lot of these clients who use direct indexing at high fees is at year 10, they exit direct indexing and they're like, oh, well, 
I want to leave the strategy now. I've collected all the benefits. How do I like? And now they're stuck with like hundreds of stocks because it's it's not as convenient as moving like one ETF. Uh, whereas if you choose a provider with more reasonable fee structure, such that it makes sense long term, like a 0.1 or a 0.25 fee structure, right? Those are reasonable prices. Then it makes sense for you, right? So I think that's important. Uh, and uh, you know, I think a lot of these other firms are more short-sighted. They're going to charge the big fees. The clients are going to pay the fees, and then at some point down the line, those tax laws sort of aged a lot, and so they're not doing much, right? They've escaped their cost basis by quite a bit, and so they're not doing anything. They're not harvesting yeah. losses. So you're thinking about where we're heading before, not where we've been. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Well, so where we're heading now, the next thing is you got a, you got my daughter as a customer now because she understands direct index. You have my wife, you have me, you'll probably get some of Phil. JC is, is direct indexing in his own way. Um, is there a problem with the term? Like what, if you, if you could wave a marketing wand, cause you're out there trying to raise awareness. Well, how low is the awareness of something like this? Yeah. Cause Howard, this is like that? what you say about technical analysis. It's a terrible name for something. A direct indexing Correct. might be in that same it's category. It's like Satoshi's, like engineers develop crypto and they have their own inside information. I don't even know what Discord is to talk about crypto. <laughs> they got a scam going on us forever. So this is a very simple hack. How do we as human beings speed this up? It took 20 years of mutual funds. We used to look them up in the newspaper. Then ETFs came along. I don't even think people know the benefits of ETFs. They just because everybody's doing it. So how... What what are the little because the world of ZERP is over, the world of free customer acquisition is over, the world of you living at, at in a, a TwitVid inside uh, uh, Twitter with sixty reorgs that fantasy world does not truly exist anymore because Elon. How bad? Hey Mo, how bad is it over there? Everybody's copying it. I mean, what do you? I mean, you we, know, we, I mean, it's been a, it's been a poor organization for a long time since the beginning. But what, what's what, what's your vibe there now, like? How, how bad is it really? I left the company too long. We left way before Elon came along, so uh, in early 21, yeah. so I, I wouldn't know. But it was it was on its way to uh, early Gemini status. The uh, they were they were Gemini before Gemini. <laughs> so so what is next? I, what is the next thing that um, Uber was like? The idea you could be a rock star. Um, Robinhood was like you could trade like a freak. Um, Direct indexing is you can chill like a, a billionaire, right? Like invest like a billionaire would, right? It is, you know, people want to YOLO. They're going to do that if they're not rich. But, you know, with 50 grand, you can start, right? And this starts you on the path ahead. What's the next product for that aspiring? Uh, and what are the bill? What is there a product inside Freck that uh, you want to build? Or with the, if the market changes, it's the next thing that people want. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. There's um, there's a lot we can do. So there's um, there's a new technology that is being talked about a lot, uh, or a strategy, I should say, long, short, direct indexing. Right? So you could take the tax loss harvesting that happens and you can boost it. You can almost double or triple it. So if you go, See. for example, 150 long, 50 short, so you're still market neutral 100%. Uh, now JC's got a little bit of a uh, direct indexing chubby. We call that <laughs> no, I, you know, I, a no, DIC, I, a direct insight. I, I get chubby. it. It's great. I'm in. I'm in. Honestly. No, so one fifty. So the ta no, no. So for the ta so you're saying, uh, press the tax game, basically. Yeah, you literally instead of harvesting that four hundred thousand or forty thousand and hundred k, you harvest eighty thousand now. So what does that open up? If you have a concentrated stock position, we talk to customers who 
super, they have Google, they have $10 million in Google stock at like literally zero cost basis. And they're like, I want to get out of this, but I, I don't want to pay the, ta- the huge tax bill. They, they live in, in California, right? So what do you do is you sell it and you put it in a long short direct indexing index, right? So you generate almost $8 million in capital losses and, and you barely pay, pay taxes. And it's all perfectly legal. It's just wow. when both long and short, right? So when the market moves up, there's tax loss harvesting opportunities, and as well as when the market moves down. Um, so it's a really cool AQR paper on this called Dynamic Direct Indexing, uh, and uh, talks about it in detail. So, so theoretically, I'm not because I've, I've sold my hood other than for a small amount. So theoretically, tell me if I'm wrong. Stocks at 20, I feel like I don't want to take to pay the taxes on something like that. I I could even though Robinhood's not in an index, I could have theoretically pulled. It probably would have worked in my huge favor because Robinhood went down on top of it. But like I could have done that even though it's not directly in the index. Yeah, you, you basically what you do is you sell at the beginning of the year, right? You want to sell in January, uh-huh. February, something like that, and then you have the rest, and then you put it in a direct index, and you have the rest of the year to harvest losses, right? In that index, so as the market moves up or down. You're harvesting losses and you're offsetting that that tax bill uh, when it comes due the following April. Yep. Well, learned a lot. Um, JC, let's uh, get back to the real world. I want you to uh, listen in a little bit, Mo. JC, I mean, this is a party. So, JC, let's catch people up on what uh, is happening. It's, I think, you know, the market looked a little bit toppy. Uh, you were out here, we're talking about breadth. Um, I didn't react to anything. Obviously, I'm 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 not active that much. Um, but man, biotechs, financials, um, everything seems. Dude, there's a couple charts that I show you on crypto. I, this the the what happening is happening in crypto right now pales. It's blowing away what happened in crypto. Let's in go. 20, let's get let's 21. get into it. Let's get into it. So I think I yeah, think here's the story. Get into it here. Yeah. So here's the story. So throw up the first chart. This is this is really it. I think it's important for investors to understand what's inside these indexes. You know, when you talk about, oh, the stock market, you know, how the market do, what's in, what's exactly in these indexes? You know, should we be in small caps? Should we be in large caps? Well, what's driving small caps and large caps? As it turns out, it's the same thing that's driving the difference between an equally weighted index and the market cap weighted index. It's the difference between what's driving uh, value versus growth. What's driving uh, industrials versus the NASDAQ? It's exposure to technology. The rest of the country doesn't have, the rest of the world doesn't have massive technology exposure. Small caps don't have massive technology exposure. The equally weighted index, by definition, is equally weighted. So it's not going to have all that aggressive growth exposure. Same thing between the Dow and the NASDAQ. Very, very different. So when you're talking about these things, I think it really comes down to understanding what's in the sector. Look at go down and look at Apple, which is a market bellwether making new three month lows literally today as we speak. Apple making new three month lows. So if Apple's breaking down, not only is technology going to continue to have a hard time going up, but I think it's going to drag the indexes with it because the S&P 500 is 30 percent tech. The Nasdaq is 50 percent tech. Right. And Apple's obviously a huge component of that. So it's about breaking it down and you can continue Look at the equally weighted NASDAQ 100. Now, just now, finally, getting back to those former highs. So 
So it's it's it eliminates any thoughts of the Mag Seven or anything like that. This is simply an equally weighted version of the Nasdaq 100. Just now getting back to those highs from late 2021. So the way I like to look at it is, well, how's the market going to react now that we're back up here? And what I like to do is I like to look at the components and the other types of companies that look exactly like that. And Google is that. And Google is rolling over at those former highs as well. The strength, I think, scroll down two charts. The strength, I think, continues to come from energy and nobody's positioned for it. There's huge leverage in U.S. equities, particularly tied to technology. And while this might not change longer term trends, which I'm in the camp that this is a, a longer term bull market that we're in the middle innings of. And I still think that there's upside, you know, in the short term, I think that there is continued vulnerability in the equities market. How many people are positioned for crude oil to dramatically outperform the S&P 500? Is that why interest rates are making new multi-month highs, right? So I, I think the pain trade could very well be higher oil, higher commodities, and lower stocks. And you could scroll up, and the winners so far since the fourth quarter of last year when we bottomed has not come from the energy stocks, with few exceptions. Some of the refiners are doing well, of course. It's come from the commodity. Crude oil, gasoline, heating oil, you're seeing it from the commodity itself. So I continue to think that this is a, uh, a market where having the United States as a short position against other longs. I know uh, Perlman's been talking about China. We've been talking about China. I think energy's one of those possibilities. But if you scroll down to the last one, this to me, I think is another big one. So this is the S&P 500 in the United States, obviously, relative to IFA which is developed markets outside of North America. So anything outside of US and Canada. So this is the ratio between the two is now back at those former highs from the end of 20, you know, right? We're back at those former highs. So um, look at the difference in composition. The S&P 500 is 30% tech. It's actually more than that, but it's like 30.5% tech, 8% industrials only, and only 2% materials. IFA is a third of the tech exposure, less than a third of the tech exposure, double the exposure to industrials, right? And three, three and a half times the exposure to materials. So much different weighting in these other countries. Look at Japan, UK, a lot of Europe in there, of course, Australia. Those are the developed markets outside of North America that are ex-tech. So I think what could be dragging the United States down, the lack of that exposure, um, in my opinion, uh, we'll, we'll continue to see the relative strength from some of those areas. We'll let the market prove those trends wrong, but that trend, in my opinion, currently is still in place. And Apple making new three-month lows today uh, just reiterates that, that trade. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean there's this AI bubble that's popping or this or that. It's just rotation in the middle parts of a bull market where some sectors get messy and it just so happens this is America's biggest sector by a long shot. I have a question for you, JC, about this. So mm -hmm. there's something called the home country bias, where investors yeah. have this tendency to invest in their home country and neglect foreign markets. And uh, you know, smart people would say, you know, behavioral economists would say this is a mistake for the long-term investor. And so I'm looking at that chart right now, and I have definitely been. Uh, guilty of, and I'm aware of all this stuff, but I've definitely been guilty of the home country bias. I am long, you know, the, 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 you know, 
uh, uh, VOO and VTI and all, QQQ. And yeah, I but just yours is not there. a home country bias. It's a recency yeah, it's bias. Not home country. Not a home no, country. no, 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 no. Oh, okay, part part of the home country bias is a recency bias. In my case, there's no question. The home about country it. bias. Right, is, let me just your home ask, country bias is as a result of your recency. No bias. question about. Uh, maybe so. That may be so. You may be right about. But Phil, that. One you may more, right. just well, here's my question. I just want to ask the question thinking. really quickly. So, right. uh, would now I'm looking at this chart, and there's been other times when we've been up here. And it, it seems to me that now would be the time for me to do a little repositioning and taking some of that American bias and spreading it out into like an EFA based ETF. Would you say that this would be like, hey, if you've been biased, you've 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 benefited from Here's it what accidentally. I'll tell you. Here's what now I'll tell would you. be the time I, to I do that. Here's what I'll tell you. And I don't want to be a cop out, but it really depends on who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. I think what you're describing, what you're describing is one very excellent way to think about it. No question. But let's say as an investor, you don't even want to go there. You don't even want to leave the United States. Just understanding the rotation among different sectors and strength in different types of companies, that alone puts you so far ahead of everybody else, right? Like what you're saying, yeah, you're not wrong. But there's a lot of different ways to think about it. For me, it's more just a function of, you know, watching the sectors rotating and the fact that if money is rotating into energy stocks and 2% of the S&P 500 is energy and 0% of the NASDAQ 100 is energy and money's rotating into energy stocks, well, you know, if I own the S&P and the NASDAQ, that's not really a good situation, especially if it's rotating out of technology, which obviously it has been for most of the year. So as we continue to see that for a lot of investors, especially investors with home country bias, plus recency bias because of all the success over the last decade and change, you are, many people are very exposed to a correction in technology that, by the way, started at this exact same level Two and a half years ago or so, whatever, two, two, right? Two years ago? And a 22? Exactly. I will, and, a, I will, and a 21? I will chime Sorry? in to say, right. I'll chime in to say that I've talked about before. If you're investing in startups, man, once you start getting away from your home country bias, you got to start talking about currency risk. And I think the fact that you own the indexes you own, really, they're not home country, right? Apple's. They're all thinking through Vietnam manufacturing. You know, where, where are these countries? Their taxes are in Ireland. Um, you're not really a home country. Yeah, well, bias, there's this right? other stat as well, Howard. Like, 40% of the revenue of S&P 500 companies is international. It's outside of the US. So yeah. You have some. I think what correct. So what JC is saying is very interesting because industrials, right? Like, you know, these the there's three major things going to be happening around tech right now. I don't know if the New York Times, you know, the New York Times case is huge. With a who owns the content. Should the comics and the writers have their stuff whipped up into an LLM and misused and not appropriated? You know, at least a Google link gave them attribution. So you have, that's a major technological meets media meets cultural war that is just beginning. The second one is will Europe, which is a mess. There's nobody that would argue in their right mind other than, you know, from the price of prices, which are going up, which is fine. You know, stock prices are going up, which is wonderful. It uh, doesn't mean I have to go there and live there uh, to participate, but everything under the surface is like, we can't have another Google and Facebook with AI, right? Like we can't let them win again. Look what it's ravaged our tax system and our countries before. So you got that. Everybody looking inward. Um, 
including the U.S. So, I mean, to me, this is a perfect time for a rug pull, right? Like the cynic in me is like banks are doing well. Genetics are working. uh, Crypto is acting like it's a party. um, Apple's rolling over. NVIDIA can do no wrong. Crypto JP punks. Morgan is Infinity all time highs. For the crypto punks. Not just crypto punks. I pull up a chart. I got to show you one chart. I got it. Right. I'm a lucky. In, I'm a lucky. Well, the crypto punks. I'm not in. I'm a lucky investor in this ETH dot five. I don't even understand what Ether is, but I've allocated money to, as you know, to crypto. The craziest chart I've ever seen. Because while everybody's talking about their three bagger in NVIDIA, there's 20 baggers and 30 baggers happening overnight uh, in the crypto space right now, and um, I think it's just this massive, this goes to the degenerate economy. Uh, you know how I mean it like that. But this degenerate economy is learning, right? They're getting smarter, right? Eventually, they're going to discover that for their serious money, taxes do matter. And they're going to go to direct index. But for everything else, stocks are boring. This is, I don't know, DeFi llama. I mean, these are, these are real things. This isn't like a $50 million penny stock. This is a liquid $1.8 billion token. Um, and with with um, stable coins exploding, these gains can be moved around now. But this is a, a I'm not even going to get into what it is, but that's not fake. That that thing has gone from 100 million in 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 uh, January 24 to 1.7 billion today. They just raised money at a 240 million, probably from Andreessen. I'm a lucky investor in the seed round. I have no way to get out. I'm just saying, how can I talk to... When this is available to everybody, 24-7, 365, and you learn this stuff before the next person, it's going to be, we are in for this wild new world of degeneracy where it's being played, uh, Phil, on levels that we used to call the bulletin boards. These things are distributed globally. What we thought was like being in the know is the exact opposite at this point do you mess around i mean you as a tech guy you do you mess around in any of this stuff still like just because of the technology mo or is it just something that i just surprised you with and it's foreign to you no i don't touch it yep so so that's what's going on degeneracy 2.0 bro because this is we already had this right this is coming back now with the animal spirits and crypto now you're getting the higher beta stuff is starting to really come back and go no, but I think what people forgot, and this is something for Mo and, and Freck to think about, stable coins are a form. Again, it's not for me yet because I'm 58. But if you're 28 and not understanding what stable coins are and, and, and having your, your wallet to play games on Solana or Sui or Aptos, you know, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Like you are now falling way too far behind with your, with your money. And, and um, what's happening to gold you know, as we're seeing, this has been a perfect environment for gold for the last 10 years and it's gone nowhere, right? Because there's too many choices for people. Uh, And the one use case of gold, say I got to flee my home is actually better used by crypto at some point. So saying while you were, you know, relying on the old textbook, a new textbook comes along. So I think it's hard for me to like, to explain how behind I feel, even though I feel far ahead when you see stuff like this going on in the market. And it's not happening in the public market. It's not happening in the venture market. It's happening in a liquid form of venture, which is just, you know, is is mind boggling. So 
you know, there's a lot of stuff to unpack over the next six, seven months. But uh, that, that was a gr- Mo. It was great to have you. Um, Freck is, you know, very cool. F R E C dot com. It's pretty easy to set up an appointment and get one of your uh, staff, you know, one of the advisors to kind of help people walk walk them through, right? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it's. Uh... What what do you what are you seeing the generally? It's about ten minutes to set up. What like what's the setup time? It takes a couple of minutes to onboard. And then, you know, it's a quick, uh, you can transfer stocks in or connect your bank account and fund an account. It's very quick. Yep. And um, so there you have it, Phil. Um, this is the kind of stuff Phil loves. You know, like he likes to be surprised and just uh, talk about great that. stuff. And I heart. love the interface. Yeah. I love just the simple interface. And, you know, great, great. Best of luck to you. I think you're going to get taken. I mean, I think it's inevitable. But. Uh, best of luck to you, brother. Thank you. He's well capitalized. We 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 have raised a large uh, venture round, so it's not like uh, that's in the plan. It's beautiful because he's a product guy, and the and the big players need the user experience is terrible, even though they have more money than God, and they need that so bad, and they need the functionality too. Because I mean, you are forcing. You're forcing the the service downstream. You're forcing the long tail. You're saying this is for everybody. I love that too. Uh, so I just you know I, I I love it and I loved hearing it from you. Howard tells me about this stuff and I'm just like oh yeah yeah okay that sounds really cool. But hearing it from you is like beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What's your uh, what's your quick uh, tip for staying lean and mean? Okay, so still, here's the thing. I have a thing. Is, is so I love this. I love flipping okay. things upside down on people, right? So one thing that I notice is that on the weekends, a lot of people deplete themselves, right? So they get to the weekend. They're like, oh, I, I, I just ran a marathon all week. I worked so hard. And now it's the weekend. And what do they do? They party. They get out of their sleep pattern. They eat garbage food. And then Monday morning comes and they're tired already. And then they have to go through this long week again. And so I notice that all the time with, with people out there, with clients, the whole thing. And so what I'm going to say is, and this is not a religious thing. I'm not a religious guy. I'm a spiritual guy, not a religious guy. It's not a religious thing. But I'm saying over the weekend is a great time to take the minutes that you have and to just get yourself together, to get outside, get in nature, go for a long walk, spend time with your people rest, go to bed early. What a contrarian play to go to bed early on a Saturday night, Uh, eat healthy food, maybe go for a run, maybe get a schwitz and get a sweat going. So that is a beautiful thing where you could take something that's a negative in your life if you're stressed and tired and overworked, and you could turn it upside down and make uh, the weekend time a a, a time for uh, uh, nourishing yourself and replenishing yourself rather than draining yourself. Flip that for real. The uh, beautiful. I'll let you end it there, Mo. Uh, any tricks you do to stay lean and uh, motivated? Uh, yeah, it's certainly. Like uh, you know, I've got I've got two kids, and um, you know, uh, I I love spending time with them. So um, you know, uh, life at this stage for me is basically work and and kids, and there's nothing else. And uh, you know, when I'm stressed out, um, you know, even. Playing playing a game with them is is a is a fantastic way to uh, just disconnect. Beautiful. What uh, how's San Francisco? Is it bouncing back? San Francisco is actually you know there's a ton more energy now. There's a lot of a lot of events, a lot of founders, uh, a lot of folks moving back, uh, and um, 
you know, there's still there's still some crime on the streets, but uh, yeah, it's, it's getting better. Like it's certainly you can feel like it's getting better. I gotta say, I think you may be the closest looking. You may look more like Phil than I look. <laughs> well, it's, it's the haircut, you know. <laughs> the, Handsome guy. Uh, all right, kids. We JC had a run. Uh, we're gonna run. We just. Uh, I really enjoyed it, Mo. Yeah, thanks no, for thanks for having me. This was an awesome educating us. Yeah. And then uh, to everybody at Trends with Friends, we will see you next week. Thank you. Pleasure, Mel. Cheers.